Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, my friends. Well, welcome to week five in our sermon series, Biblical Characters Before Christ. Um, So far, we've gotten to know Amos, Naman, Josiah, Shifra, and Pua. And today, we are going to get to know somebody. And by the way, this is your disclaimer. This is the only warning I'm giving you. This is a buckle-up sermon, okay? So buckle up, because this one's going to move. We are going to get to know someone who rescued Israel's greatest king, okay? Because of the actions of this person, one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament, King David, his life is saved. This person, through what they do, their courageous obedience to the Lord, y'all, that they changed the whole trajectory of King David, David's life. So, listen up to 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. It says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down into the wilderness of Maon. Now, let's pray together. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Lord, I, I love these messages out of the Old Testament. I do not know why Hollywood has not grabbed a hold of this story and made a movie, because everything is here. But Lord, today, we want to learn a lesson from the life of this incredibly faithful, courageous person. And so, Lord, in all of us right now, we just make that commitment together as a body that we will open our hearts to the Word of God. We'll open our ears, and Lord, we're just asking you to imprint deeply the testimony of this life in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Samuel 25. Now, the story opens up with the mention of someone who is going to fade right out of the story, and that is Samuel. Okay, Samuel uh, was a prophet in Israel, and and, uh, he is a man who is one of the greatest prophets of all time. Um, From the very beginning of his life, when he was a child, we see here's a person who's got an open ear to God, and and as his life progresses and, and his story unfolds, He doesn't just have an open ear to God, he's got an open heart to God. And by the end of his life, he lives a life for God. Um, He, he, uh, just a couple of highlights, he led the entire nation of Israel back to the Lord their God. Then he led the entire nation of Israel out into battle against the Philistines. And um, if that weren't enough, he he is the one who anoints the first two kings of Israel. So this is a guy, he is an Old Testament heavyweight. And so here in in chapter 25, he's just died. And so the whole nation has come out to to mourn him, kind of like we we have a national funeral for a president. Everybody turns out um, except for one person who really ought to be there. And the one person that really ought to be there at Samuel's funeral is David. David isn't there. And, and it's a strange moment because David is one of the two kings that Samuel has anointed, and Samuel's also been a mentor in his life. But David's not there because he can't go there. You see, the, the former king, even though David's been anointed, it's kind of a future anointing, one of these here, uh, anointing with oil, this will come to pass. But for the moment, the former king, is still the current king, and his name is Saul, and he is in power, and he hates David. 
He hates this kid. And so where, where David is at the moment is he is on the run. And, and he is hiding out. And, and he's actually had to go all the way down to the wilderness of Paran with a group of, uh, kind of a growing group of loyal men. And so there they are. And so as we get into verses 2 and 3, we see that in this wilderness of Paran, uh, there is a wealthy landowner nearby. Um, his name is Nabal. And Scripture tells us that Nabal has got a very beautiful and sensible wife. So she is the, she, she's just a complete package. She is beauty on the outside, and she's just full of this, this wisdom on the inside. But um, Nabal himself is not a good man. Uh, you, you read the passage here, and you don't have to dig real deep to figure out that, you know, he's just a crude, wicked, surly kind of guy. He's, he, he's a mean-dealing fellow. And um, believe it or not, both of their characters are going to play a great big part in this story that's unfolding. And so, like I said, Nabal was wealthy. And back then in the ancient Near East, wealth is measured in three ways, okay? Um, the first is money. So nothing has changed then. Would, would we all agree that if we call somebody wealthy today, they've got money, okay? So that hasn't changed. Uh, the second thing that set you apart as a wealthy person in those days was land. Sometimes true, not always true, but that still is a part of wealth. But the third thing is livestock, okay? And that, that's a little bit different for us. And Nabal has got a whole lot of livestock. Here uh, we have mentioned 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And, and by the way, that's probably not the end of his livestock, but he's got a whole lot of livestock. And it just so happens as, as the story opens that it is sheep shearing time, okay? I know, it didn't register with any of us. Okay, here's she sheep shearing time in ancient Israel. Twice a year, in the spring and in the fall, they would gather all the sheep together, and they would cut off their wool. And, and the reason it's set apart as sheep shearing time is that over the years, it had grown into a festival. So they didn't just, you know, run them through a line, cut off the wool, there you have it, and take it away. They turned it into a party. And so you would have uh, food and music and livestock. I mean, it really is good times, you know. So here's where we are. And uh, now verses 4 through 9. When David heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal, peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. Nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please, share any provisions you might have on hand with us, with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. So the first thing we learn is that, okay, we said David and his men have been hiding out, right? So they haven't been hiding out in a cave somewhere. They've actually been using this time to do something good. You know, that instead of just sitting around, uh, they have been helping to pr protect Nabal's sheep and his goats from predators and, and from thieves. Uh, this many, uh, probably not enough shepherds to cover all that livestock. So they've gone out there. And they've been like just a, a wall of protection. 
And typically in these situations, what would happen is the shepherds would take their provisions and they would share it with protectors that showed up. We just have, have a problem this time. It's that uh, David has, as you learn later on in the passage, David has got 600 men with them. So you see the problem, right? So like if the shepherds say, hey, take a few sheep and, 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 and some goats to feed all these guys, well, the, the, you know, the, 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 the herd's going to be decimated. So in this case, David needs to send a messenger and a message and a polite, a polite request, explain the situation to, to Nabal and wait for a reply. So that's where we are. Now, given what you know about Nabal so far, don't know much, but given what you know about the man's character, how do you think Nabal is going to respond to this very reasonable, gentle request, and these guys have been doing a good thing for him? How do you think he's going to respond? You got it. Verses 10 and 11, Nabal's response. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears? And by the way, whenever you get that many mys, it's my, my, my. This is not good. And give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where. And what you've got to understand here with Nabal is he is not only saying no to the request, he is insulting David. He's insulting David, he's insulting his family, and he's even insulting his right to be king. So there's a whole lot of nasty packed into this response. So this is Nabal's response. Now, given what you know about David, all right, um, and, and let's just get everybody uh, clear on this one. On the passion meter, where would you place David based on what you know about him at the Old Testament, okay? Now, this is no passion at all. This is like passionate about everything. Where would you put David? Wh which way should I go? Yeah, everybody's pointing this way. At the, we already know David is a passionate man, but there are a couple of other things going on here. David is also grieving the loss of his mentor. And if you have ever been in grieving and mourning, that takes emotion and passion and it does something else with it. But he's also on the run. He's also away from his family and friends. This is a strange place for David. How do you think David's going to respond to this? Exactly. Verse 12 and 13. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal that Nabal had said, uh, what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. So you see what happens to David. David gets this news, and he goes red hot with anger. He, and by the way, this isn't a response from David. This is an absolute reaction. David's sitting here going, I cannot believe this. This guy just thumbed his nose at his future king who out of the goodness of his heart looked after his sheep. He didn't even, I, didn't even ask me to do this, and I did that. So I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I, I, I'll give you a visual for this, okay? If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, um, spanking was fashionable. So, so when David straps on his sword, this is the reverse of what used to happen if you were a kid in the 70s and 80s. Uh, here's what I mean. When, when my sister and I blew it, and, and by the way, any time we got spanked, it was deserved, 
when my, here's what the moment looked like. Come here, you kids. I mean, you know, and he's whipping that belt off. Well, this is the reverse of that. David is whipping that belt on. He puts this thing off. He grabs most of his men, and they ride to destroy this man. And if you were thinking to yourself, hey, this sounds a little bit extreme. You know, g- given the situation versus the, the size of the reaction, this, this is a bit over the top. You are absolutely right. In the meantime, Nabal's servants, they're scared to death. I mean, they, they, they know what this means. They, they, they've seen what this insult has done, and they, they know what's coming next. So what do they do about it? They don't go to Nabal. Now, why don't they go to Nabal? Yeah, he's an angry man. He's an oaf. You know, he, he's ignorant. He's debaucherous. This guy caused the problem. You don't go to an angry, messed up, arrogant man like this. They don't go to Nabal. They go to Abigail, who is sensible. And they tell her the whole story. They lay it all out for her. David and his men have have been so good to us. They were a wall of protection for us. Uh, But surely sheep would have been picked off. We might have been killed. These men, without even even being asked, they stood in that place. They took care of us. And they, they, they politely and rightly made a request because the need was great. And Nabal has screamed insults at them. Nabal has shamed them. Nabal and his anger and his arrogance has made a fool out of them. And we're going to get clobbered as a result. And clobbered is a a, a religious word that means we're going to be destroyed. We're going to be killed. They know what's coming. And so Abigail hears this, and she leaps into action. She, She just goes right into action in verse 18. She wastes no time. Abigail, she gathers 200 loaves of bread two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that have already been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, two hundred fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys, and she says to her servants, go on ahead, and I will follow you shortly. And then the next verse doesn't shock anybody in the room. She did not tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. And so she takes off. And as she is making her way to David, okay, realize that David and his men are thundering her way. David is boiling with rage still. And and the Scripture tells us how he's doing it. It's how we do it. He is rehearsing what has happened over and over again and what he's going to do about it. Have you all ever been in that situation before? Something happens, okay? It happened. It's over. It's time to get on with the solution, but you just turn it over and over and over and over, and it's like a treadmill, you know, without a governor. It just goes faster and faster. David is really out of control here. In fact, he ends this way in verse 22, may God strike me and kill me if even one man of this household is still alive tomorrow morning. And again, we all sit there and we're like, David, cool your jets, brother. David, calm down. This is no way for the future king of, of Israel to act, not over something like this. And then we have God's perfect timing. As David and Abigail meet on the road, and by the way, here she proves beyond a, bat, beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is absolutely the better half of this marriage she is as calm and as wise as, as Nabal is uh, just, just foolish and rude and a lunkhead. 
Verse 22, uh, 23 and 20 through 25, when David saw Abigail, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked, ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, we have to realize here that uh, God is sending Abigail to David. Now, I think we, we've already kind of captured that. Um, so, so God has sent her to David to do something about this anger because David is out of control. James 1.20 says this, man's anger never produces the righteous life that God desires. And we've got to understand that, yes, there was a cause. Yes, it was rude. Yes, it was wrong. You know, Nabal never should have treated you this way. But still, David is inches away. He is inches away from breaking the sixth commandment. He is about to murder a man and his, and his family. And this, this act of human vengeance, if he does this, this is going to damage David's soul. It might ruin David's soul. But I'll tell you this, it's also going to damage and ruin his destiny. You know, think about this for just a minute. If David, if David kills Nabal, is David right now the king of Israel? He is not right now. So what happens from the king of Israel? Uh, Saul sees this and he goes, oh, okay, guess what I just got? I just got the perfect excuse. I can now legally hunt this guy down, and I can legally execute him. If David does this, folks, Saul will seize the crown, and everything we read about David, it never happens. Nothing good can come from David in this moment. Vengeance is the Lord's. It is not David's. Nothing good will come from this act. And so God has sent Abigail as a peacemaker. And y'all, she plays this role with beautiful precision. The first thing she does, did anybody notice? Who accepted the blame for everything that happened? She did, right? She comes to him with, with asking for forgiveness, accepting responsibility. You know, but, but in the midst of that, she also tells the truth. She confesses that her husband is a fool. He's wicked. He's arrogant. And by the way, some of you have been asking yourself this question, how in the world did a woman like that end up with a guy like this? Seriously, did anybody wonder that? You, it's called arranged marriage. I mean, that, that's the all, and that happened all the time back then. That's the only way a woman this beautiful and this sensible ends up with a guy like this. So, so she speaks the truth about him. But she also gives food and provision to David and his men. But then finally, the, oh, the one thing she does, and this took a lot of courage, but it's beautiful. She also speaks the truth to David about his spiritual condition. She tells him the danger that he is in spiritually. And by the way, if you think that this sounds prophetic, you're right. I mean, she just speaks to him. David, verse 26, as the Lord lives and you live, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Verse 28, David, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. David, verse 29, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. You, you are secure in his treasure pouch. 
but let the lives of your enemies disappear like stones shot from a sling. So, so she foretells the ruin that are co- going to come upon everyone who's acting like an enemy of God and the legacy and the life and the, the dynasty that is right at David's uh, a footstep. And what she's saying to him in all is, David, look, the Lord has got this situation in hand. So take your hands off of it. And then finally, Abigail does add in one last great request in verse 31. David, when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. So this is what she does. I mean, this is this brave peacemaker. And praise God, it sticks. It lands. It impacts in David's heart and David's mind. This sensible woman brings the future king of Israel to his senses. Verses 32 through 35, David says it best. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would have been alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Rest in, uh, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We won't kill your husband. And hopefully every one of you are feeling what I'm feeling right now after I read that again. It's one great big, whew, thank God. It worked. But the story's not quite over. There is an even more gripping conclusion to this. As Abigail goes home, in verses 36 through 38, she goes back home uh, to her and Nabal's place. And she finds out that her house has turned into a frat party, okay? Uh, it, is, it is like a scene from Animal House. People are everywhere. Nabal, it says, is celebrating like a king. And by the way, that is Hebrew code for he is as drunk as a skunk. And so the next day, while Nabal is probably nursing a hangover, Abigail tells, uh, tells Nabal what has happened. Everything that he doesn't know, how David and his men were thundering their way, she went the conversation she had, the danger that loomed over them, destruction was that far away. And suddenly, it all hits Nabal. He just comes to this realization of how close they were and what he had almost done to the family, the livestock. And he has a stroke. And then 10 days later, he dies from uh, complications of a stroke And as you would guess, there's no record of Scripture of anyone shedding a tear over Nabal. Just like I don't see anybody in here crying over the man. Quite a story, isn't it? So the question is, as we end, is what do we do with all this? You know, we asked that question last week, thousands of years ago, times are different, situations are different. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, what I want to do is I want to suggest three Uh, three points of application from each one of the characters in the story. The first one is Nabal. Okay, let's start with Nabal. What can we learn from Nabal's life? What's the point from Nabal? It is simple. Do not be Nabal, okay? There is a way that leads to life, and this is not the way. 
Okay? Drunkenness, debauchery, arrogance, pride, it's no way to live. There is the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus Christ. His way, His life is different. It's wonderful. It's rich. It's salvation. It's humility and peace and love. This is what we're called to. Today, if you are on the ball side of the fence, you're here and you're like, well, golly, that sort of describes me. Jesus Christ, receive Him. Make room in your life for Him. Welcome Him in. The change fully will take a while, but the change begins today. Salvation is today for you. And listen, if you need help, you know, if you've ever been in places of addiction or, or deep grave sin, you need help, come see one of us. We want to help you make that journey out of that place. So don't be Nabal. Uh, Nepal. Uh, Nabal. Yeah. I've said Nepal a couple of times. You know, I have nothing against the, na- uh, uh, the, the country of Nepal, just so you know. I bet it's beautiful. Okay, so, so there, there's uh, Nepal. Second, when it comes to David, we have already covered it, and it is simply this. The anger of man does not lead to the righteous life that God, God requires. There is a big difference between the anger of God that we read about in Scripture and the anger of man. When God is angry, He will always channel that into some life-saving stream. God will move, and by the end of the story, when His wrath or fury or, you know, uh, His anger was roused, at the end of the day, you will see light, you will see life, you will see redemption, you will see salvation. When we get angry, and listen, even when we try and dress it up as church people, you know, we, oh, we do that, you know, we dress up our anger, and it always yields Darkness, death, destruction, the anger of man never pulls, about, uh, pulls off what, what God is about. Finally, though, we have Abigail. And folks, oh, what a woman. From beginning to end, she is a peacemaker. She acts in love. She speaks in love. She calls David back to the love of God. You know, Abigail in this story, she has every right to sit it out. You know, I mean, she really could. You know, she didn't say that to David. She hasn't been a lunkhead and an oaf and a a rude, rotten person. She could sit it out. But look at what she does. She negotiates a spiritual ceasefire. She speaks to David, and she calls David to stop and be still, and to behave like the man of God and the the king that God would have him be. She reminds him that God has a great call on his life and not to throw it away in a moment of vengeance. You know who, who Abigail is really here? She is a forerunner. She is an early representative and an example of Jesus Christ. I mean, look at her actions. This is Jesus First of all, Abigail, what does she do? Well, I'm, I'm going to wait for David to show up, and hopefully I can catch him before the sword falls. No, she goes out, doesn't she? Abigail pursues David. That is what Jesus Christ does throughout the Gospels. That is the story of how every one of us meant God. He pursued us. He found us. He left the 99. He came and got us. She represents Christ very much. Uh, she also, I pointed this out earlier, she also accepts all the, br- all the blame, all the fault in this situation. Isn't that what Jesus Christ did for us? Do you remember where that happened? 
It's right behind me at Calvary on the cross. Jesus Christ bore the sin of the world, though he had not sinned. She, she is like Christ in that. With Abigail, her aim is restoration and it is redemption, and that is the aim of Jesus Christ. And that is also our calling, isn't it? You remember Paul, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.8 said this, God reconciled us to himself through Christ, but he didn't stop there. He also gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus says the same thing to us in, in slightly different language, right? In Matthew 5, 9, what does Jesus say there? Blessed are the what? The peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Brothers and sisters, you and I are to be people bringing God's peace into situations of conflict and contention and division where the action gets hot and the bullets are flying, we are called to do that. And, and I know for most of us, you know, admittedly, we're never going to be caught between a, a, a reckless fool and a volcanic angry king, but we are faced with these situations all the time in life, aren't we? You know, we, we come upon someone and, I mean, y'all know the situation, you come upon a friend or an acquaintance and there they are and they're hot and bothered and they are railing out against somebody or something, whether it's real or imagined. And, and when that happens, because it happens, we're always faced with a choice. You know, the choice is, you know, that we can kind of lean in and listen in and kind of nod in agreement and maybe take a couple of sticks of comments and statements and kind of throw it on the fire, or we can go the other way. And the, and, the, and the other way is that we can do what Abigail has done here, and we can speak the truth in love. We can remind people of who they are in Christ, and we can help change the trajectory of their lives and say, hey, don't, don't throw away the good thing, don't, even if it's just today's peace and today's joy. Don't throw that away. We have the power to introduce the peace and the love of God in every volatile situation. And so I say this woman, Abigail, who lived quite a tale. Man, what a story. She's a role model. She's an example. She is a reminder of, of what we are to be and who we are to be. And I really believe that our world would be a very different place if we as Christians, you know, like Abigail, we can acknowledge the truth. Yeah, that's a problem. You know, we, we can share even the concern of it, but if we turned it back in God's direction and walked people forward in peace, and y'all know our society right now, goodness gracious, take politics alone. We need some peacemakers in there, don't we? So we can be different. So let me lead us in a prayer. And uh, since a lot of this sermon is about, hey, what do you do when the situation starts? We know what to do now. But for some of us, maybe all of us, we might say, well, you know, right now I'm kind of actually caught in a few of those conversations at work or at home or in the neighborhood. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of over here, you know, in a place I shouldn't be. I just want to pray in a moment of confession for the body that God would wipe that clean because we love to enter into condemnation. Oh, my gosh, I, I had a conversation I shouldn't have. You know what? There's no condemnation in Christ. Let's just pray over that thing, get clean, and move on. All right? So let me pray for us. Father, I love the grace of Jesus. I love the forgiveness of your heart. God, I love that you are the God of second chance, that you love to take, take that which is 
unclean and you love to make it holy. Father, you, you love to wash us in living water, Lord, to just even, even using the imagery of the cross, just to uh, just anoint us with, with just a, a drop of the blood of Jesus and all of our sins are white as snow. God, it is so tempting in our culture, in our day and age where, oh, the internet is nothing but, you know, guess who did what? Lord, even sports radio, I was listening to the other day, and oh, they're having just this gossipy, ripping somebody apart conversation. Father, it is all around us. Lord, help us to be a people set apart. Father, help us to be just a, a people who really are here for the sake of the peace of Jesus Christ, the peace of God, the, the love of the gospel. Lord, I thank you that, that your church is a powerful force. You know, we might see ourselves as a collection of people on a Sunday morning, but Lord, you see us as, as uh, representatives of the kingdom of God. You call us priests and kings. Lord, you see us as, as an extension of yourself. We are the bride of Christ, your family. And Father, we see, Lord, whether we look in Acts or in other, other just theophanic moments in Scripture, that God, you have anointed us. And you have equipped us, and you have called us hesed, which is blessed. You have made us apostles and ambassadors, people bringing good news everywhere we go. So, Lord, we thank you for our great calling. Lord, we thank you for the great impact the church that says yes to Jesus Christ can have in this day and in this age for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You people are wonderful. I love you. You're beautiful. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.